Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So we're going to start a new series today, uh, and, and the, the name of the series is Thrive, and it's a series, and this, this series started um, really with us wanting to do a series on manhood, on biblical manhood, and understanding what does it look like to be a man. Um, and, and as we started working on this series, it kind of changed, because what we said is, if we want to have a healthy church, we can't just focus on what's it look like to be a healthy man, we have to look at men and women. So as we do this series... We will speak a lot to men. We're also going to speak to women. And we named it Thrive. Now, we, our first name was Flourish, but we thought that was a little too, like, feminine. So, you know, Thrive sounds a little more, oh, Thrive, right? And so, the, so we named it Thrive. And here's the idea behind the name of Thrive. Here's what we believe and we hold to. And we believe as men and women, as, as marriage and family uh, in our society, in our church, as we Submit to God's design for men and women, humanity will thrive or flourish. And as we rebel against God's design for men and women, we will suffer in humanity and marriage and families and churches will suffer. Okay, and so uh, as we looked at this series, why, when we lined this thing out like over a year ago, we started planning. By the way, in four weeks, um, we will start a new series on the book of Luke, and we'll be in that for like a year. So if some of you like to read ahead, if you want to start reading the book of Luke, we'll start that in a few weeks. Here's why we did this, is what we were seeing, um, and, and you've seen it too in society, is men abusing their power and having a major negative impact on those around them, specifically women. If you remember over the past few months, the hashtag MeToo circulated through social media of women saying, hey, MeToo, I've been uh, affected by abuse at the hands of men. And it's sickening. And it's hurtful. And we look at the breakdown of the family unit in America and how many families are absent, or how many families are absent of a strong male leader in that family. Brad and I work with a lot of young men uh, in our city, and a shocking amount of those young men come from families where the dad is not present. And we were seeing a breakdown. It's interesting, when I did the series on judges this summer, I was doing a lot of, a lot of study on world history, and one, one historian, um, did some research and studying all the ancient civilizations and ancient uh, world powers. So think Rome, Assyria, um, Egypt, all these powers, these nations that were on top and kind of led. And then he looked at what caused their demise. It was interesting. He found one thing in common for all these nations that caused their demise is they had a devaluing of the family unit. And we see that. And all through the news in the past few weeks, are coming out of men, some that we've maybe propped up and said these are model men abusing their power and taking advantage of women. And there's something inside of it that hates it. And yet we see the face of evil and we look in the mirror and that face is our own. 
Because inside of all of us is this breakdown of God's design. So in this Thrive series, here's what we're going to do. Today, I'm going to try to, to lay out the big picture and understand God's design. In the next two or three weeks, we'll kind of flesh out what's this look like kind of in everyday life. But when I served with John Marshall at Second, a uh, great man, one of the things he would always say is he would say, I quote, in order, to, in order to understand something, you must understand its beginnings. He would say that. Then he would go into this really long story of how Sunday school started in the 1950s or something like that. And he totally lost me at the story, but he had a really good point. If we want to understand how something, if we understand something, we must understand its beginnings. And that's what we want to do. If we want to understand men and women's role and really even the breakdown of society of those things, we must understand, we must go back and understand the beginning and the design. So where do you think we're going? Genesis chapter two. Let's go there. Genesis chapter two. Let's go back and look. So as we talk about men and women and manhood and womanhood, here's what we do not believe, that manhood means this macho mustache and muscles idea of manhood. Nor when we talk about womanhood and being a godly woman, do we, do we mean this like girlfriends and giggles, everything's precious and we have to sit around and make trinkets and talk. That's not what we see. As a matter of fact, our desire at Hill City is that we would have very strong men that would lead sacrificially and humbly in their, in their families and in our church. And that we would have very strong women that would lead sacrificially in their families in our church. That's our desire. So not this macho thing and this cute little precious thing. Let's look at the design. Genesis chapter two, verse five. So God's creating the world, and this is what it says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land and there was no man to work the ground. So God's creating, nothing's growing yet because he hasn't caused it to, to, to rain. Why has he not caused it to rain? There was no man to work the ground, verse six. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden, in, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of, gar of the garden of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as we see this creation and we see the order of creation, God starts creating um, the, the plants and the animals and nothing's yet sprung up because why? There's not a man to work it. And we look at this design, why was man formed in Genesis chapter two? It wasn't because God was lonely and needed some people because God was formed to work the ground. Get, I'm sorry, God, God, man was formed to work the ground. So man is this image, this, this, this cre creature created in God's image with a very specific design, and that is to carry on the work of God. Man's created to work the ground, to tend God's flourishing world. So God's created this thing, and he said, okay, in order for my creation to continue to flourish, I'm going to create a man, and his job is to work. Men. Work is good. It's a gift of God. Matter of fact, we'll do a series on work at some point. An idle man is a dangerous man. Because men are not created to be idle. They're created to work. 
A lazy man is a dangerous man. A bored man is dangerous. Because men are created and it is good that a man's created to work and to help this world flourish, to continue on God's created order. Man has a purpose to work the ground and that purpose is blessed. God said it's good. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man that he created and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So he kind of gives them this, hey, everything's yours except for but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall die. And so, so God blesses him and says, this whole thing's yours, help me create, flourish, but don't touch this tree. We've looked at that before. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So it's interesting. As you read, if you go back to Genesis 1, you read God's, the, the account of creation. Here's what you see. God creates and it's good. And God creates and it's good. And he creates man and it's good. What's the first thing that's not good? Man alone. Now there's a reason for this. Adam had a unibrow that he did not trim, right? It's, he wore terrible. No, God looks and says, listen, it is not, I have, I've created man that he would help this world flourish, but it is not good that this man will be alone. Notice Adam didn't say to God, hey God, I'm alone here. I need some help. No, God saw it and said, it is good that I create someone else. And so what happens is God creates woman. And it says here that he, that she will be a helper. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now that word helper is a very interesting word. Um, it's the same word in the Bible that's used to describe a strong person helping another person. That's the idea of helper. Oftentimes it's even described, that word helper is described as God helping us. God is our helper. So here's what we can't see helper as, as man as this, I'm in charge, and this weak little person who's a helper that just kind of does what he wants. That's not what the word helper means. That word helper is this strong, gifted person that would come alongside him. And it says, I will make a helper who's fit for him. So here's the design. Remember, we're trying to understand the beginning. The design of God is this man whose primary responsibility is to lead in the, in the creation and flourishing of this world and this gifted helper that will come beside him as a perfect fit to join him in his work that God has given and God has said is good. It's a perfect partnership coming together. Now, at Hill City, here's what we hold to. That men are given by God, and we'll look at this in this series, the responsibility for the spiritual leadership and protection of women, and that women come alongside as a perfect fit underneath that protection. So we believe, based on the Bible, men have a greater responsibility for spiritual leadership in relation to women than women do in relation to men. Let me say that again. Hill City, we believe men have a greater responsibility for spiritual leadership in relation to women than women do in relation to men. Does that mean that women don't have responsibility for spiritual leadership? No. But that men, is, men are given the greater responsibility. We'll continue to look at this. And so men, here's what we are called to be. 
in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, spiritual leaders and protectors. That's the call. Husbands, your job that God has given you is to work hard and in your family, your marriage, and the church to be the spiritual leader and the protector. Single guys, God has given you the responsibility to be the spiritual leader and protector of women, of the women around you in your life. Here would be my desire for Hill City Church. I'll just tell you straight up. If you're here on a normal, a normal Sunday when college is in, in uh, you know, when they're not on break, you'll see this whole front section filled up with college students, right? Many of them are female. Many of them come from families where their dad was absent or not a spiritual leader. Here would be my desire, men of Hill City, I'm talking to you. My desire for the men of Hill City would be that we together would care for and protect and nurture the single women of Hill City Church. Not authority over them and, and, and domineering. You're not, you're, obviously, you're not their husband. You don't have that authority over them. That we would be protectors of them. God has created men to be spiritual leaders and protectors. And he's created women to thrive and to flourish underneath that protection. Verse 21, Genesis 2, let's keep going. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he, was, while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. It's interesting that he took a rib beside. He didn't take a piece of the toe to make woman underneath. He took a rib beside. Here's what we believe at Hill City. Both men and women are created in God's image and are equal in value, worth, and dignity. We don't see man as this, he was created first, so therefore he's higher and he has more value, more worth, more. No, we see them as side by side, both creating the image of God with the same value, worth, and dignity with different roles, complementary roles for the flourishing of humanity. Let me introduce you to a, to a term called complementarianism put it on the screen. Here's the definition of complementarianism. God created men and women equal in value and personhood and equal in bearing his image, but are given distinct roles in marriage in the church. That's a complementary position, that men and women are equal in value, dignity, worth. Men is not over, but that they're given complementary and distinct roles to be side by side for the flourishing or the thriving of marriages, families, and churches. Their importance, their equal in importance, and their personhood. They both create are creating God's image to reflect his character equally. They're both valuable. Here's what we believe at Hill City or uh, even society. If we have a church, let's take Hill City. If we have a church that is only led and the only voices are men, we believe we would not have a church that actually depicts the character of God. That's what we believe. Because women are given complementary roles as helpers. Flip side, if we had a church that was only led by women without the um, without the voice of men in that, in, that, in that leading, we believe we would not have a church that accurately fits God's character. 
We'll talk about this in two weeks, specifically what it means for Hill City. And, and as we grow as a church, what that complementarian belief, what it means for us. But I want us to understand that. It's saying both have equal worth and value, but have complementary roles in the marriage and church. Let's keep going. Verse 23. So God creates woman, brings her to the man. And here's what the man says. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's so interesting. What happens when God brings this woman to Adam? He quotes, he writes a poem is what he does. This is a poem. And here's what he immediately does is he immediately values and cherishes this woman just as he does his own body. So he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he's so overwhelmed and so moved by this creature that he writes this poem in response. Here's the deal. God creates dogs. He doesn't write a poem. God's created cats. He definitely doesn't write a poem. (laughs) God creates woman, brings her to this poem. This poetry comes out because he is captivated by her. And look what he says. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He cherishes and love her, loves her just like he does his own body. Does that remind you of a scripture? Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife as your own body. That's exactly what we see Adam doing. So pre-fall, meaning before sin comes in, here's what we see in creation. That man perfectly cherishes his wife as this beautiful helper to come alongside him for the flourishing of humanity. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so now the Bible brings in this idea of marriage and says, when Adam and Eve come together, he cherishes her. And because he cherishes her, he commits and says, I'm going to marry you. And now they have permission to come together in one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and not ashamed. So what we see in the design of God is this physical, emotional, and spiritual unity. And what we'll find out later, it's there to demonstrate the relationship between Christ and his church. And the call for Adam, for this man, is to hold fast to his wife, meaning to commit, to love, to protect her. And what's the result? They're not ashamed. Men, let me talk to you. Or we step out of that role as protector and caretaker and sacrificial leader, shame will come in. We have a lot of single men that come to our church. Um, Notice that he is united to his wife once he is committed to her in marriage. Men, if you're not married, you have no right to be united. And to do so is to fail to be, stop being a protector and now be someone who takes advantage for your own pleasure. And the result of that is shame. But in this design, because sin's not in, he says the man and the wife, because there's this perfect unity, this perfect complementary unity, the man and the wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Shame, the great killer of intimacy is nowhere to be found because Adam and Eve are perfectly living out God's created design. 
And so here's our argument for this series where men and women live in their God-ordained roles. There is flourishing or relationships will thrive. Where men and women step out of those design roles, brokenness will come. So as we look at this design, right? So here's the design of God. Man is this gracious, loving, humble, sacrificial leader. Women is this created equal who has a distinct role to come alongside in that leading to be a complementary um, person in her husband. As we look at that design, here's the question. Is that design good? Yeah. Because here's, here's, here's where we end of that design. The man and the wife were naked and they knew no shame. It's good. There's a loyal, loving, blessed relationship between the man, the spiritual leader, and the woman, the complementary helper, and it is good. Here's the problem. Genesis chapter 3 happens. Right? If you know your Bible, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Men and women rebel. And so now we live after that rebellion, and we feel the sting of this good, perfect relationship being distorted. And here's what I believe. Even the hardcore feminist who speaks out about any idea of male leadership down deep in her heart desires the love and nurturing protection of a man. I'll argue that. Now what they speak out against is the brokenness of this design. Here's what we can't do living in now in 2018. When we feel the brokenness in this design, we can't just automatically jump to, well, the design is bad. We need a new design. No. When we feel the brokenness in design, we need to say, how does this brokenness not match up to the created order? And we need to repent and come back to this. But as we look at God's created design, do you see God as a giver in his gender roles? Do you see the flourishing, his design for the flourishing of humanity and how he's given these roles? But Genesis chapter three happens and God's good design will get shattered because of the rebellion of humanity. Here's the deal. Um, I know some of your stories. I know we have women here who have suffered deeply at the hands of men with abuse and manipulation, disconnection emotionally from their fathers. I know you're here. I know your stories. I know we have some men here who have been harmed by women who have emotionally abused them, emotionally manipulated them, played with them, led them on. Here's what I encourage you to do and challenge you that as you go through this and we look at this scriptures and look in the next few weeks, women, the part of you that shudders when you hear male leadership, I'm gonna argue that that part of you that shudders comes from you feeling the brokenness of God's design. You're not shuddering to the design. Men, the part of you that puffs up and yeah, man, is puffing up to the brokenness of the design not the design. That in God's design, we see it is good and there is no shame. 
But Genesis chapter three happens. You'll turn there, verse six. So if you remember, God created the, the Garden of Eden and he says, you know, everything's yours. Just don't eat this one tree. And look what happens in Genesis chapter six. And we can quickly read over this and just look at them eating a piece of fruit in the fall. But we're gonna see hopefully this very little thing that happens in Genesis chapter three, verse six, that I think will help us make sense. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. Now again, we could read that and quickly just say, you know what, man and woman, they rebelled against God and everything went downhill from there. But did you see what happened? What was Satan, the evil one, what was his job? He was attacking God's design. Satan attempts and succeeds to institute a role reversal. Who did Satan go to? The woman. Where the man was created to be the spiritual leader and protector, Satan goes to the woman. attacking God's design. And so what happens is Eve begins doubting God's goodness and his created design. And Eve now desires to kind of have authority and says, you know what? I can be my own God and I can be a butt like, he goes right for her. Look at Adam. What do we see with Adam? Adam who's present, who's there with her, is passive in his leadership, allows Eve to take the spiritual leader and she says, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's eat of this. He passively stands by. He becomes a silent partner instead of a strong leader and protector and it all falls apart. Satan attacks God's design and humanity suffers because of it. Adam sits there and he listens to this dialogue between Eve and the serpent. If you've read Genesis 3, there's a little bit of a dialogue there and he says nothing. He's a silent partner. Verse eight. So they sin and they realize that what they've done, they realize they're naked. Shame comes into the relationship for the first time. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me. Now, you see what happens? What? God says, why'd you do that? Well, the woman, it was her fault. The woman you gave me, she did it. What happened to bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, poetry, right? Now he's like thrown under the bus. That was really her fault, God. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, here's interesting, interesting thing. God, or Satan attacks God's created design. Who's the one that was tempted first? Adam or Eve? Let me hear you. Who, who made the decision to eat? Adam or Eve? Who's held responsible? Adam. Notice that? 
But the verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man. Here's the truth, men, that we will not back away from this series. We as men are called to be the primary leader and protector in our homes, our marriages, and the church. And men, we will be held accountable by God on how we lead in that God-designed role. Eve's deceived first. Now, Adam's deceived along with her. Adam's held accountable. And, and it's interesting. One that we see, he said, uh, um, let's see. Well, I can't find it in there. Oh, he said, so he, he, God says to him, because you have, oh, down in verse 17. My fault, I didn't read it yet. Down in verse 17, God will say to him, because Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife. Now, again, very interesting phrase. Because you listened to the voice of your wife, that's why you deceived. Now, man, here's what we can't say. Well, here we go. The Bible told me I don't have to listen to my wife anymore. No, wrong. So here's one of the things we have to remember as we read the Bible. Um, it wasn't written in English. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus wasn't a middle-class white Republican. Um, Bible, this part of the Bible is written in Hebrew. Translated to Latin, was now translated to English. New Testament is written in Greek. That word listen is a very interesting word. And we only see it one other time in the Old Testament. Remember, God says to him, because you listen to your wife. God's not saying, Adam, that's what you get for listening to a woman. That's not what he's saying. The word listen, we only find it one other time. One other time. And we find that word, if you remember the, the story of, of Abraham and, and Sarai, right? Uh, this is the very beginning. We just did this series on it. God promises Abraham, Abraham, you'll have a son. Trust me. And, and the years go by and they don't have a son. And so Sarai's wife comes along and says, Abraham, God's not giving us a son. We got to take matters in our own hand. I want you to sleep with, my, with our servant so we can get a son. This is what it, Genesis 16, 2. Here's what it says. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That word listened is the same word used in Genesis when God says, you listen to your wife. And it's the only time that word is used in the Old Testament. You know what that word listened mean there? You stopped leading in the way I've created you and you let, you allowed her in your passiveness to lead and you listen to what she said. And he's talking directly to Adam saying you failed in your leadership to Abraham. Abram, he failed in his leadership and he listened. So it's not saying men, don't listen to your wives. So here's what we see is the fall brought brokenness and distortion to the good design of God of men and women. Where God created for good and it might flourish and thrive, Satan came in, he twisted it, and now brokenness comes from that. Verse 16. And so because of this rebellion, there's a curse that comes upon humanity. And we, we learn a lot by looking at this curse. We learn a lot by what we experience today. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So he says to the woman, listen, the flourishing of humanity, childbearing, it's going to be painful. Women, we're sorry. He says to the man, 
Well, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. We'll get to that in a second. He said to the man, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust and dust you shall return. And so to the woman, he says, listen, childbearing and the flourishing of humanity will be painful. And to the man, this good work that I've created for you will now be hard. And by the sweat of your brow, you will work. I don't know if we have any farmers in here, but here's what God's telling them. Listen, the land will rebel against you. If you ever try to plant a garden or grow something, the land, the insects, the butt, it rebels against you. And so he says, because of this, we're cursed. But let's look at something very specific. And this helps us understand. Look at verse 16. He says to the woman, the second part of it, your desire shall be contrary to your husband or some of your translations for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now that's interesting because we read this and we say, your desire shall be for your husband. Well, that sounds like a good thing, Right? Here's what you have to understand. The word desire, here's the Hebrew word for it. The word is teshqua, which I said it right because none of you know how to pronounce it either. So there we go. Here's what the word means. Desire to conquer. So when God says to Eve, your desire will be for her husband, for your husband, he's not saying, hey, in a great way, you'll desire your husband and everything will, no. He's saying, because of your rebellion, rebellion women, your temptation is to desire to conquer or to be above or to assert authority of. Your desire will be for your husband that the bend and the flaw of women would be to desire something different than God's created design. Look what he says. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now again, that word rule is the Hebrew word mashal. And the Hebrew word Michelle, we have to know what it means. It means it's a term used to describe governments that operate in like a monarchy, dictatorship, or harsh rule. So Hitler was a leader that ruled with Michelle. And that's the word God uses, he shall Michelle over you, harsh rule over you. So the flaw of men is to misuse this God-given authority and direction to lead by ruling over in harsh, domineering, manipulation, abusive manner. And everything in us that hates what we see in our society with men and women, and even in our marriages, that struggle comes from a rebellion from God's design. And we see it right there. Wife, your desire will be for your husband, over your husband, and men, your desire will be to rule over and domineer, Michelle, your wife. Again, we can't look at the brokenness that we experience today and we say, well, it's all bad. Because it's not. Sin and brokenness is what causes the twist in God's created design. And so as this works out, there's usually two errors in God. So where God's created men and women to be complementary helpers with a, with a husband sacrificially loves and serves his wife and the wife comes along and graciously submits and comes alongside her husband. 
the flaws when we go on either side of that. On the, on the left side over here, we have this aggressive response. And on the right side, we go passive. And both men and women experience both ends of this flaw. Let's look at this. Let's take aggressive first. So where men are called to lead sacrificially and faithfully, the aggressive man leads harshly, is domineering, is selfish, is abusive, or is cruel. Women, wives, if you're in a relationship where your husband or your boyfriend are any of those things, selfish, harsh, domineering, abusive, and cruel, that is not God's design, and you do not have to suffer in that. You need to come to a, someone that loves you and cares for you. You can come to the elders up here at the end and say, listen, I need help. God has not called you to suffer in a harsh and abusive relationship. But the flaw of man is that an aggressive man would mashal, would lead over their wives like that. So as I'm studying this week, I always listen to music as I study. We have an office, Hill City, and it's a very, it's an open air office. And so everyone's in the same room. And so I just put headphones in when I'm going to study. And so I, Tuesday, I got, I was going to study this and get in the office and I get my headphones on, I put them in. And, I, and a lot of times I listen to this band called Explosions in the Sky, which is a really cool instrumental band when I'm studying. And so I get on Spotify to listen to my, to my music and my wife and I share a Spotify account and I get on to listen to my music and I see that she's already listening to like Chris Stapleton or something like that. And I'm like, ah, oh. and so my first thought was I can just click like, I can just steal it from her. But then I was like, well, I'm doing this series on like leadership, you know, probably better not do that. So I didn't. So I was like, fine, I'll give her the Spotify. So I went to my iTunes. I was saying, what would a good pastor do he's listening as he's working? What would a good pastor listen to as he's studying and working on you know, Genesis chapter three. And so my answer, Eminem, of course, right? Because that's what, that's what we do. So I throw in some Eminem and I'm sitting here listening and studying and some lyrics come across my ears and I'm like, ooh, Eminem just preached the Bible and he didn't even know it. Because what we see in some lyrics here is an aggressive approach, this mashal leadership of a man along with this controlling domineering woman trying to, let's, let's see what it says. By the way, the, it doesn't always rhyme because I took out a few words, okay? <laughs> Here's what he says. I don't, I don't think she understands the sacrifices that I've made. Maybe if she'd acted right, I would have stayed. But I, I've already wasted over half my life. I would have laid down and died for you. I no longer cry for you, no more pain. You took me for granted. You took my heart and ran it straight into the plane. I really want to rap right now, but I won't. Into the dirt, I can no longer stand it. Now, here we go. Now, my respect, I demand it. I'm going to take control of this relationship and command it. I'm going to be boss of you now. What I mean is that I will no longer let you control me, so you better hear me out this much you owe me. Do you see the breakdown? Man, domineer, I'm going to take control. I'm going to command this relationship. Woman, trying to control him, and there's the flaw. And here's my argument. The flaw is not in God's created order. The flaw is in sin that broke that created order. So the part of us that rebels and hates is not God. It's sin, and it's evil. So the aggressive, the flaw of man is this aggressive, selfish, harsh, domineering. Now here's the thing, women, same thing. You can have a flaw of being aggressive and that comes from rebellious, resentful, resenting his leadership, trying to compete in his leadership, this aggressive like, no, I'm not gonna submit to you. I'm gonna lead you. I'm gonna take charge. 
And that's a flaw. So both men and women can go on the aggressive side. Now here's the reality. Both men and women can go on the passive side too. So a passive man, which we see in Adam when the, when the fall happens, is this man that doesn't take initiative to lead his family. He's a wimp, and I'm not talking physically, I'm talking emotionally in leadership. He's a wimp and coward and backs down. He goes along with his wife with whatever she wants, even if that is to do wrong. He's absent physically or absent emotionally, which is a huge deal. Emotionally absent men and husbands. It's passiveness. And hear me, it's just as evil as the other. It's just as damaging as the other. So I've worked with college students for years and years and years. You know how many times I had a conversation with a college girl whose dad was emotionally absent? And he gave her all the stuff she wanted, but was not emotionally there. And she is bitter and she's hurt and she's angry. and She has a hard time trusting any man in her life because of that. Both of them are dangerous. Both of them cause destruction. Now, just like men can be passive, women can be passive. And it's interesting. If you look at women in churches and, our, and even our church in the church, this is my opinion. Christian women if they're going to err one way or the other between rebellious and passive, I think most of them tend to fall on the passive side. And there's this big confusion because they're taught like submit to your husbands and be a, a submissive and, and a wife and gracious and all that. And there's confusion on what this means. And so a lot of times women, they fall too far into passiveness, which means they contribute nothing. They don't correct their husband when they see him leading in a way that's not good. Listen, submission does not mean passive blind following. That's not what God has for you, ladies. And one of the things we see in the church is women who, who want to be a godly wife and want to submit and all that end up sliding into passiveness because they're afraid to share their opinion and share their beliefs and their desires. It's wrong. Listen, you're a perfect fit helper. Women, we need your voice. In our marriages, we need your voice. In our families, we need your voice. Hear me, in our church, we need your voice. And if you ever feel at Hill City Church like you're supposed to be this passive, submissive woman that sits in the corner and doesn't speak, you've gotten the wrong message. We need you. One of the things we'll talk about in our marriage conference we have coming up in a few weeks. Um, remember, you can register online. Get in that. Get in that. There's a book by John Gottman, who's this kind of premier marriage researcher, and the book is called The Science of Trust. Anyone read this book, Science of Trust? Okay, you need to read it. So John Gottman, he's not a Christian writer, a secular research, but he, again, unintentionally backs up the Bible and God's created design. And in this certain section, he's talking about this idea of being agreeable, okay, of being compliant. So here's what he says. Where a man shares power and is agreeable with his wife, a marriage thrives. So, and I would say just like God's intended. He's going to lead, he's going to share power, we're leading beside that marriage thrives. Here's what he says. Where a woman is always agreeable, is passive, is, does not express anger and negative emotions. This is so interesting. Okay, so we kind of have a passive woman. Where that marriage is present, where this woman is passive and doesn't, doesn't share emotions, in the very beginning of their relationship, both people will relate the relationship as very happy. Remember, a passive wife is not sharing 
much and not expressing. The first few years, oh, we have a great, happy marriage. But in turn, a few years later, both of them will rate their satisfaction in marriage as very low. On the flip side, this is so cool. Take a, take a new marriage for a year or two where the wife is not compliant. And I'm not talking like rebellious, but speaks their mind, shares their emotions. Both of them would rate their marriage as not very happy. However, within a few years, both of them would rate their marriage as very, very happy and fulfilling. Why? God's created design. Now, at first in the marriage, it's hard because men were like, whoa, I'm not used to this. She's telling me what she thinks. And it's not taking control, it's not domineering, but she's expressing her opinion. And here's the deal, my roommate didn't care and I left my towel on the floor. And now she does, and I don't really like that. But as a matter of fact, where a woman expresses and comes beside as a complementary helper, that marriage thrives as they work out those details. And he starts hanging his towel up. What's John Gottman do? Backs up God's created design. Men leading, sharing power, hearing from their wives, complimentary helpers. Wives as this gifted, equal, side by side. She's sharing her emotions. She's challenging. She's graciously loving, graciously submitting. And a marriage, a relationship, a family will thrive. And where brokenness comes is where God's design is rebelled against. Found a great quote in my research. This is from a book, Woman and the Word of God. Here's what this writer Susan Follow says. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. And so the rule of love founded in paradise in Genesis is replaced by struggle, tyranny, domination, and manipulation. It's a great quote. Look at that. Sin has corrupted the willing submission and loving headship, the design. And what we're left with is struggle, tyranny, domination, and manipulation. Once again, men, the part of you that puffs up when you hear male headship is struggle, tyranny, domination, and manipulation. Women, the part of you that bristle when you hear complimentary helper, struggle, tyranny, domination, manipulation. That in God's created design, it is good and that sin twisted. And that's where we feel the sting. And now here's the cool thing. We just did that series, Redemption Through History. So we know what happens. Jesus comes and he restores, he brings back together the picture of God's created design. Quickly and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter five, jump over. Brad's gonna look at this next week. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. Because we see this flaw, this, this, this rebellion is worked back out and Paul's gonna come and say, hey, here's, a how, here's how it's supposed to be and Paul's gonna directly tie it to the created design. Ephesians five twenty-two: Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even a Christ is the head of the church. His body is in himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives who submit to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see what Paul does? Here's what he says. 
all of the brokenness of humanity that we feel with men and women is put back together in Christ. And so here's the call. Husbands, love your, um, yeah, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificially died for her. Here's what Paul's saying. Husbands, you ready? Here's how you love and lead your wives. You die. That's how you do it. You humbly, sacrificially, graciously die. You lead as a servant, godly leader who's willing to lay down his life both physically and then every day for the sake of his wife and his family. That's how you're called to lead. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He points us to Jesus. Now, women, here's what he's going to say. Submit or respect, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. So here's the picture. Women, just as you desire to come under the leadership of Jesus who perfectly loves you, here's what he's going to say. Women, so submit to your husbands just like you would to Christ. That's what he's going to say. So Paul's desire is in this world where we feel the conflict between this broken marriage and broken relationship to bring us back to his creative design and say, no, here's how it's supposed to work. Husbands, men, lead, sacrificially, humbly, loving. Women, graciously submit, come alongside, be a complementary partner, and it points us to Jesus. And even secular research and secular uh, society and pop culture back this up. One of my friends sent me this this, this week, uh, a quote from Will Smith, who celebrated his 20-year wedding anniversary. Now, here's what I'll say. I cannot vouch for their marriage. I have no idea. never met him. Don't talk to him. But great quote that I believe backs up Genesis chapter 2. Here's what he says to his wife of 20 years. Love is like gardening. I've learned to focus on helping you to blossom into what you want to be rather than demanding that you become what my fragile ego needs you to be. I've learned to take pleasure in nourishing your dreams rather than wrestling with you to fulfill my selfish needs and satiate my insecurities. Again, can't speak to Will Smith and his marriage. Great quote. What's he saying? I've learned that God is true in what he said in Genesis chapter two. That's what he just said. Makes me want to go watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air this week. <laughs> a few reruns. Here's what Will Smith's saying. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And she will graciously submit and come underneath your leadership. And it's a beautiful picture of God's created design. So Hill City, as we grow individually and as a church in maturity in Christ, we should see a growing desire to live within God's created design. So for Hill City Church, as we grow together in this, here's what we should see. Strong, loving, sacrificial, caring men who lead and die for their wives and the women of Hill City. We should see strong, gifted, biblical, theological, strong women who lead out of their gifting right alongside the men, all for God's glory. That, that's what we should see. And when we have a breakdown of that is when we have a rebellion against God's created design. So what's our response? It's the same response we tell you every week. Believe and repent. Here's what we need to believe today. We need to believe that God is good and has created design. And those of you that have been hurt, some of you very, very deeply, 
You've not been hurt by God and his design is not bad. You've been hurt by sin and rebellion against his design. We need to believe that. And we need to repent, all of us. Because all of us in one way or the other have rebelled and are rebelling against God's design. I was talking to some of, the, some of my friends out there that came to the nine. We are just talking about how this is hard. Like, you know, dealing with our, not dealing with our wives, that's not a bad. Uh, trying to love our wives. And like with Emily, I wanna, I wanna encourage her and support her and challenge her, right? And kind of push her gently, nudge to be all that God's created to be. But sometimes I take that too far and I try to manipulate and control. And like, it's a struggle, Right? And so here's what I'll tell us, men or women, if you were challenged by anything today, which I was as I prepared this, shame is not your friend. Like there should be no place for, for one of us to sit here and say, well, man, I, I suck. I just keep messing this up and I'm a terrible husband. Or I'm, and then lead to shame and just kind of hate ourselves. Like that's not the gospel. Shame is not the goal. You know what the goal is? Repentance. And repentance is not shame. They're two different things. Shame says, well, I suck. I can't do this right. Repentance says, you know what? I haven't done this well, but I'm coming back to Christ who's already forgiven me and I'm gonna learn how to do this better. I'm gonna get some help if I need to. That's repentance. So my desire today is men or women that none of us would leave hanging our head in shame that we would leave with hope and see that the kindness of God leads us to repent for the flourishing of, of our marriages, our family, and our church, and ultimately our society. So we're invited to the table today, men and women. Notice, women, we don't have the men come up and get it and take it back to you. You're invited. Invited side by side to come and receive mercy because we've all messed it up at some level. We've all rebelled and feel the strain of living in a fallen world yet desiring this, and we've all messed it up. But God invites us through the blood of Jesus to come and receive grace and mercy and repent, and that's a really good thing. So may you come to the table today, men and women, may you come equally created in the image of God in value, worth, and dignity with beautiful complementary roles for the flourishing of your marriage, your family, and our church. Let's pray today. I would thank you for your design. As a community, by faith, we declare your design is good. Now, may we believe that. God, may men and women and husbands and wives, may we repent of our rebellion against your design. And may we know that we receive grace and love. May we not leave in shame. May we leave in hope. As we celebrate your meal that you've given us, that be a celebration of your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.